If you have a copy of God's Word, would you open it up to James, the book of James? We are discussing what does faith look like as it works itself out, that it's God alone who rescues, but then there is a partnership that as we come to Christ, we walk with Him. There's a part for us to play, and God will always do His part, but faith works. It works. James watched Jesus be tempted in every way growing up. Think about junior high Jesus. Think about high school Jesus. Think about, do you know what James knew? No matter what the future of Jesus was, no matter how much the temptation was, wherever Jesus was going, what did James know about Jesus? He wasn't giving in. Never. Not once. He was pressed. He was pushed. He was overwhelmed with temptation on every front, and yet he fought and he won perfectly, 100%, straight A's. James is speaking to us today as he spoke to his people, his church in Jerusalem, and he was able to speak with power to say, I watched my big brother, Jesus, fight temptation and win. And the same power that he has, you have. The same victory that I've watched him experience all the way to the cross, that victory is yours. Isn't that amazing? That Pastor James today is saying, it's not just about that we all struggle, it's that we all are to experience victory in Christ and that it can be true. That can be your story. Do you believe it? James 1, verse 12, blessed is the man or blessed is the woman who remains steadfast. Do you remember that word? I don't know if you were here weeks ago, but we talked about this word, hupomene, hupomene. You know Greek. That's pretty awesome. Impress your friends, right? Hupomene is to remain under the pressure, to remain steadfast, to not give up, not quit, keep going, even when what? He says, to remain steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. There's a lot here. This is pretty awesome. If, if you're taking notes, just jot this down. Number one, I will fight as a victorious athlete. That, that's the image. I will fight and I will win. I will receive the crown of life, he says. James wants us to be thinking competition, sports, right? So if you're the best, I, I don't know if I'm going to touch on any of your sports, okay, but if, if you're the best at hockey and you go all the way to the end, you receive what? Stanley Cup is yours if you go all the way. You, if, you're, if you're in college and you are the very best player, at the end of the year, you get to receive a reward, and it's a trophy, right? Heisman, Heisman Trophy, we got it. It's yours if you are the best. If you fight, continue on, and win. If you perform, if you outdo, we got a lot of trophies. If, if you're in the Olympics, and we recently had the Winter Olympics, right, a few months back, and if you are the best in your particular competition, you receive what? You're up on the boxes, you get what? You get the gold, you're, you're, you're not the bronze, you're, you're not the silver, gold, gold medal. Here's one of my favorites. NFL teams, you go all the way to the Super Bowl, they give you what? The Lombardi Trophy. Go Pack Go. All right, so as we, as we think about the power of not just starting and not just competing, but competing to do what? To win. To win. To win it all. I don't think it's against God's heart. I don't think it's opposed to Christianity to be an incredibly competitive individual that God gives us over and over again imagery that has a lot to do with competition, with fighting, wrestling. We see elsewhere uh, boxing and running. And he says here, this is so crucial, that your heart, that your fight, not against people, 
but against temptation, against sin, is that of a victorious athlete. You've been given everything you need to rise victorious. I, I love that. Not some, but all, all believers have been given all that they need. Every Christian has everything they need to rise victorious. And I, I don't know about you, but sometimes, maybe I'm alone in this, sometimes it feels like my particular struggle, my particular temptation, it's different. It's different. No, nobody quite understands how hard it is for me. Or maybe you're there this morning. Like, people struggle with things, but like my thing, my thing's unique. My thing nobody knows about. Or my thing is so overwhelming and so life-dominating that there is no hope for me. Maybe there's victory for some, right? Maybe there's victory for, for those that uh, maybe have a little bit more willpower, a little bit more oomph in their life that are a little bit more serious. But for me, man, I've tried and I've failed. And so that, that's where I'm left. And I, I've taken a few steps forward and then a whole lot of steps back. And when you talk about victory, it's like, that's not, that's not my experience. That's not my life. And here we have today the guarantee, the promise that if you do it God's way, if you think God's thoughts, if you fight with God's power, if you know the word and do it, live it, there's going to be a difference. There's going to be a difference in your strategy of fighting. There's going to be a difference in how much ground you are taking back. There's going to be progress. Is it, is it going to be immediate? A lot of times, no. Is it, is it going to be overwhelmingly, amazingly evident in the first day, first week, maybe in the first month or first year? Sometimes, no. But those that undertake fighting and seeking victory over whatever your temptation is, doing it God's way, there's a difference. There's a change. There's a transformation. But we're not alone. It's not unique to us. I don't know if you've memorized this verse, but here you go. If you need a, if you need a life verse, and maybe for some of us, it's like, what verse am I going to grab hold of? In the bulletin, you have a new verse. You have James 1.12 for this week. Along with it, if you want to write on the back of it or if you want to jot this address down uh, on your outline, 1 Corinthians 10.13 may be a verse that you would experience breakthrough as you meditate on, as you think about this, because this is so incredibly powerful. Paul says, no temptation has seized you, has overcome you, except that which is common to man, or that is common and everybody goes through it. Depending on what translation you read, there is no temptation except that's normal, that's common. Everything that you have struggled with, others struggle with. Everything that you have faced, others have faced. And I'm not just talking about the people around you. I'm talking about throughout all of history. This is normal. It's normal. It's common, right? The trials, the temptations, they are common. Turn to your neighbor and say they're common. You're not unique. You're not alone. This is common. It's common to all. God always provides a way of escape, it continues on to say. Not just that it's common, but that, that God will also provide a way of escape. Do you think that that's just for some people? When the temptation comes, God is providing a way out. Do you, do you know how James knew that, that he could write that? Because he's like, every time I watched Big Brother, I watched Jesus faced with a temptation, I also watched him 100% of the time that there was a way of escape, that there was a way out, that he did not give in, that he was victorious. And James was confident of this. That same power, 
that same victory, he can tell this to every single believer throughout all of history, the same is yours, the same is yours, the same is yours. There is a way of escape. There is a way out. Well, I just had to give in and it was just so overwhelming and I just, I couldn't resist. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. On your own? No. But there is a power that is greater in you if you're a follower of Jesus. If there's a a power that you would tap into, and we're not talking weird and we're talking everyday Christian life is a life that I can't, but he can. I can't, but he can. I can't, but he can. Victory can be mine. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Write this down. Number two, I will learn from a foolish fish. So we're not talking about just victory as an athlete, but I just love this. So he, he makes a sharp turn from, we're talking about uh, receiving the prize for running. We're, we're receiving a, uh, a crown of life to run, the finish, run through the finish line, right? And be able to win. And then he says, let's talk about fishing. What, what, what? Turn your neighbor and say, what? What, 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 what? Huh? Yeah, we're, we're going there. We're going, any, any fishermen in the, in the house? Anybody that has fished in the past couple of years? Got a few? So when, when I was young, dad retires, we're hanging out, and he says, John, it's time. We got to go fishing. Uh, guess what little Johnny boy said? I knew. No, no. Because there's one thing that I know about fishing. You have to get up really early. I don't do that. Not, not so much. Not so much. I do now. I've been up since 3 a.m. I get up at 3 o'clock every Sunday morning. But uh, back then, not, not before noon. Do you know what the secret that I had, I knew something that maybe my dad forgot. Instead of getting up at four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning and going fishing and waiting for hours and hours and bringing nothing home, I could sleep until noon. I could walk into the kitchen, open the freezer, fish sticks, 10 minutes, ding! I'll go fishing. I'll go fishing when I wake up. I'll fish in the afternoon. I'll fish in the air conditioning and I will enjoy fish. My dad wasn't super excited about that. But as we, as we think about fishing, there is something powerful about understanding the dynamics of fishing. So let's, let's dive in and let's imagine together in our sanctified imaginations. Let's picture this. Verses 13 and 14, I will learn from a foolish fish. Let no one say when he is tempted, obviously we're being told this because we are tempted to think this when we're tempted. What are we tempted to think? I'm being tempted by God. I'm being tempted by God. He says, don't. Don't believe it. Don't say it. It's not true. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Okay, so what's the truth? What's the truth, James? Verse 14. But, everybody say but. But each person is tempted when what? When he is lured and enticed. We got fishing language. By who? When he's, I don't want you to read. I don't want you to continue to, to read what's there. I just want you to, from the heart, what is your default to finish that sentence? I know that I am lured away and enticed when I am tempted by Satan, right? The devil made me do it, and if he wasn't just so crafty and and it wasn't so irresistible, and if he wasn't just after me, I think for some of us, if we're honest, that's kind of like, yep, James, I know where you're going. Spiritual warfare, baby. Where, Where does he go? lured away, enticed by his own desire. Here's the thing that none of us want to admit. I'm the problem. Every time I look in the mirror, I know where my issues lie. Because Satan's not mentioned in any of these 
verses, even without demonic activity, even without the supernatural overcoming me, left to my own devices, left to myself, I'm lured away, I'm enticed by my own desires. I have a heart problem. The problem is, is me. The issue is we, I don't know if we believe that. I don't know if we believe that. Lured and enticed. It's going on inside of me. Here's the, the battle. There is something outside of me that is a trigger for something inside of me to respond. The thing outside of me is not the problem. And I wonder if every time something pops up outside of you that is a temptation, first response is like, get behind me, Satan! The problem is, without Satan involved, and that thing that is outside of me and enticing me, the war is actually going on in here. I don't need any assistance. So what in the world is this being lured away and enticed? Well, first of all, there is this idea that Scripture talks about of the lust of the eyes in 1 John and it's just a matter of time before something catches our eye. I don't know if you're a, a shiny object person. I don't know if you're a squirrel. I, I don't know what, if, you, if you struggle a little bit with, with ADHD or Amazon shopping of like, ooh, how much is that? Uh, add to cart, add to cart, add to cart, right? I, I don't know if you're the one driving down the highway and going truck, truck, truck. I don't know. I don't know where your eyes go, but is it the fault? Is the blame to be put on the object outside of me? Like the thing outside of me is kind of minding its own business, right? For the most part. And all it takes is attention. Attention. Like my heart's going, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Are you seeing what I'm seeing? And as soon as I see it, as soon as I see what it could offer or what I'm convinced and oftentimes deceived into thinking that it can give me, it goes from the look to the want to the what? To the I'm getting it, right? the enticement, the lure, the only thing that we struggle with is we never see what's going on behind the scenes. We never see what's underneath. It looks so innocent. It seems like it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal when it starts as a look. It's not a big deal as some of the desire rises up. The problem is the whole process gets us to a place of I want, I will have, I take, I bite. I better be careful in the biting because otherwise we got a first aid kit, right? In case anything goes wrong. All right. So as we consider how powerful it is to back way up, because James is not just concerned about did you commit the sin? Did you do the thing? Did you bite down on the bait? He's really concerned about believers backing way up and asking the question, what are you looking at that is alluring you? What is rising up inside of you that's drawing you towards? Because when you catch it there, you can see where evil begins, where sinful acts start. We should not be surprised when we find ourselves in bed with our sin and go, ah! I don't even know how this happened. Let's reverse engineer this. You didn't just stumble into bed with your sin, there was a process, and it was a slow, gradual process. Here he says, the image is there's allurement, there's luring, there's enticing, because you already have desires going on inside of you. Consider this, be killing sin 
or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Because in relationship with Jesus, you're no longer able to throw up the the ignorance card. You're no longer able to say, I just didn't know any better. I didn't know that God said no. When I know the book, I know what no is for. And it's not just no more fun. God's not a cosmic killjoy. When God says no, he says, no more death, because that's where it leads. I'm for life, and I'm for you. No more allurement and enticement for desires that you need to be killing. And I just wonder, can we get really honest? So, like, I'm already uncomfortable. Do we, are we going to take this any further? Yes. What is your particular temptation? I'm not going to ask you to stand up and shout it, right? Everybody on three! If we're going to get really honest, what is it that tempts you? What is it that allures you? What is it that draws you in? What are the areas, the patterns that you have seen over the weeks, months, and years that you're like, I just keep on chomping on that bait? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. More death, more death, more death. Except the problem is always somebody else. And James just wants us to be free and say, no, the problem is you. The problem is your own desires. The problem is your own heart. That you're believing lies that you are giving in to temptation because that is an area of, of weakness. So what is your weakness? What is your weakness? I, I just wonder for you, because we're all different, right? We're all different. Turn in your neighbor and say, you're different. There we go. Yeah, now they, now they know, right? There's an encouraging word for the day. We're all different. We're all different. But here's, here's the deal. All of us, I think, struggle maybe with some similar things, but slightly different flavors, right, of temptation. And unless we can get really specific about that's the thing that gets me, that's the thing that allures me, that's the thing that, that gets me in a place of weakness and vulnerable and that I'm moving towards it instead of away from it, what is your particular thing? What is your specific area of weakness and temptation? What bait are you drawn to most? Because we're all different. So can, can we just make a commitment to each other? We're not going to judge each other because we have different bait that we are tempted by. Agreed? Can we do that? I can't believe they do that. I would never. And you sin differently than they do. We don't judge each other because we have a variety pack of sinners showing up to church, right? Yours may be more obvious. Theirs may be hidden. No less sinful, no less alluring, no less deadly. It's just different. So when you walked in this morning, I don't know if your flavor is like internet pornography or I'm addicted to drugs, pills, alcohol. I don't know if your thing is like I can't stop complaining and criticizing. I'm just cynical about everything. Maybe you walked in and you're like, I, I struggle with depression, but depression has taken on a whole new level of I just keep giving into my emotions and feelings of depression to the point that I just have given up on life, on responsibilities, and that I'm living in a life of isolation, and I have backed away from anybody that can help me, including God himself. I'm running and I'm hiding. For some of us, we continue to pursue things that will bring instant gratification, and that comes in a million different packages, flavors, colors, right? I just need the edge to be taken off. I just need one more, and years later, your particular bait, it doesn't take much because you've given in so many times that it's like, I don't even have to have my head turned. I don't have to have my affection stirred. I'm on the hunt. I'm looking for the bait. Where is it? 
Where is it? Where's the next bait? I'm going to bite it. I know it has a hook, and I don't care. I have just submitted myself to the power of the bait. I choose death. I don't know where you're at. I'm, I'm speaking from a place of being a, a drug addict and an alcoholic for over 10 years of my life, facing 20 years in prison as a, as a drug dealer on University of Wisconsin campus and uh, making friends with the Drug Enforcement Agency. I know what it's like not just to have my head turned and affections rise up. I know what it's like to be scared out of my mind that the next hit is not coming. I know what it's like to think all day long about the thing that I need next, that I'm willing to hurt my family and willing to destroy my reputation and on the verge of death for that next bait. Where is it? I know it's got hooks. I know it leads to death, but I must have it. For some of us, we're not at that place. We, we have common struggles, right? We, have, we struggle with respectable sins. We call it, I share prayer requests a lot. It's actually called gossip. It's sin, but my thing is more respectable. My addiction is a legal prescribed pill. At least I'm not chasing after crack cocaine. The struggle is real for all of us, but the greater struggle is actually getting to a place where we can admit we're all a mess. We're all a mess. We all have our thing. All of us have a bait, and that draws our attention. The issue is we don't want to give it up because we love it more than we love God. And God is calling today with arms open wide saying, I'm better. I will satisfy. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know the, the depths of patterns or where you're at internally where the struggle is. Maybe it's external and people can hear it, see it, smell it. I don't know if you're good at hiding it. I don't know if you just don't care and you're going to display it for all to see. But the reality is the answer is the same, that God is offering hope and help. And here are a few gifts. I just, I just want us to jot these things down. Where would I even start in thinking about how God is actually going to gift us for this fight? He equips us. He gives us gifts. Here we go. One thing that God gave you, I know that he gave you this. He gave you a conscience. He gave you a conscience that there's something going on inside of you. It's wrong. I, I shouldn't do this, right? Even before you were a Christian, everybody that is created in the image of God has a conscience. Uh, can, can you take a hammer to the, the dashboard of your conscience and say, the lights keep flashing telling me there's a problem. Bam, 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 bam. Enough of that. Can you do that to your conscience? You bet you can, right? But talk about a gift that God would give us that something deep down inside is like, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't say this. I shouldn't go there. I shouldn't give in to this. I should turn away. I should get away. I should say something different, act differently. I need to live differently, but he doesn't stop there. He gives us his word. We, get, we have the Bible. Everybody has access to a Bible that is understandable in their own language. Do you realize we live in a crazy time period throughout history where we have access to this? Do you realize that for the majority of history, people didn't have access to God's word? They didn't have access to the Old Testament, to the Hebrew Bible, they didn't have access to the, the letters, even as the letters were written of the New Testament, like a little church would get one letter. That's all they had in writing. They're like, okay, this is all we have. We're going to do it. We're going to live it. We're going to meditate on it. We're going to memorize this. Pretty soon we have, and 1,700 years later, we still have all of the books 
of the Bible. We have access to it in hundreds of translations. It's pretty wild. God's gift. God's gift. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's a gift. It's a gift that we would know God's mind, know God's heart, know how to get help, know how to change. We have our conscience, the Bible. God gives us his spirit. The Holy Spirit is not just there to comfort us and encourage us. Uh, the Holy Spirit is actually sent to convict, to say, wrong, wrong, turn the other way, do the right thing, get away from that. The Holy Spirit is to work in our hearts to say, that won't satisfy God satisfies. Run after him, run away from that. The Holy Spirit, and every believer has the Holy Spirit, all of the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. How about the church? If you're taking notes, just set down the church. Do you believe that the church is to be a, a hospital for those that are sick? It's to be a, a psych ward for those that are troubled mentally. It's to be a, a place that is warm, welcoming, and that anybody that is struggling with anything comes in, and we do this together because we're all fellow strugglers. We're all in need of help and hope and that the church, even if the church has hurt you in the past, and I would assume in our church this morning that we have a number of people that have struggled because we have been offended, we have been hurt, and we don't see the church as a place of help and encouragement and hope. We see the church as a dangerous place to smile wide and then run for the door when we say amen, right? Get out of here. Yeah, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Speaking of which, the church is to be a place where we love as family, that we welcome without judgment. This is the place that we help each other with temptation. Uh, if you want to jot this down, groups, as we think about not just being in rows, as awesome as it is staring at the back of somebody's head, do you know that radical heart transformation typically doesn't take place when you're sitting quietly in a row Typically, heart transformation is happening when you get in a circle around a table or in somebody's living room, sitting in couches, and you start saying, this is how I'm tempted. This is where I'm struggling. I need to be honest with somebody. I need to be able to open up and trust somebody. And I trust God's people because God's people have the book and the spirit, and I want help. I don't want it the world's way. I want it God's way. I want lasting change. Groups. How about accountability? I don't know if there's somebody that you can talk to and you can say at any point, I've never told anybody this, but, and here it is. And will you walk with me? Will you help me through it? I remember the very first time being a brand new believer with tons of baggage, with tons of addictions, and walking in, meeting a group of uh, guys my age, and they said, hey, is there anything that we can pray about? And we went around in a circle and they're like, can you pray for my Aunt Helen's big toe, right? She's got gout and man, you know. And oh, my, my cousin's struggling because, you know, he's wondering how he's going to pay his next car payment. And then, I mean, that's the worst thing going on in his life. And we're, we're going around the circle. And I'm like, do any of, these problem, any of these problems exist in this room? Or is everybody's problems out there somewhere? I've never met a group of people that had no problems, but they were surrounded with family members and friends that had some struggles, right? And then it got to me, and I'm like, I'm addicted to porn. I'm, a, I'm still struggling with smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. Uh, I, I, I have a probation officer that is going to be visiting, you know, every few weeks, and we're at a college, Christian college campus. 
Uh, I'm struggling because my past is catching up with me and I'm still on paper working through the two felony accounts that I have. And I, I think I need some prayer. And you said that this is the place that we like pray for each other, right? And they're all like, I said, do we, do we believe that God cares about our struggles? Do we believe that God's people can come together and be honest? I didn't give up at that point. I kept meeting more and more people that had great ants with physical ailments, but I started to bump into people that said, hey, I'm addicted here. I'm struggling here. Hey, I got a problem at home. Our marriage is falling apart. I have a problem with my kids. I need your help. I'm inviting you into my home, into my life, and let's walk together. And slowly, I was able to experience help and hope because I found out I wasn't the only one that was being tempted, the only one that hadn't been destroyed by sin. Others have had their lives wrecked and that we could come together and not encourage each other. Poor you, poor me. Like, start obeying the word. You too, I'll hold you accountable. Okay, next week, I'm gonna ask you point blank. How many times did you look? How many times did you give in? Okay, let's do this. It changed my life. It changed my life. Accountability. God intended for his people to come together, get real, get honest, and hold each other accountable. Not judge each other, but help each other. And how about this? Safeguards. I don't know if you have any safeguards in your life. What do I mean by safeguards? The idea of if I know I'm tempted, I'm not just going to tell somebody. I'm actually going to set up my life to where I'm not going to go there. I'm going to commit to uh, putting up a fence, right? Well, isn't that legalism? You say, I struggle with alcohol, therefore I am never going to drink again. I'm not even going to drive by a bar if I can help it. I'm not going to be in somebody else's home that has alcohol. You're like, well, it's legalistic, man. Talk to somebody that has lived that way for years and years and years and doesn't put up a safeguard of, I am committed to going above and beyond because I need to get as far away from temptation for a season as possible, okay? I don't know what it is for you. I, I, I've been part of a lot of uh, groups where husbands and wives talking about pornography and like, okay, are you willing to have your wife have full access to your phone and to be able to put uh, codes and passwords and to be able like, no, that's intrusion, man, and that's legalistic if you think I'm going to, you know, God says don't lust, but he doesn't say that, like, I, I have to have my passwords, right, by my wife. How hard-hearted do we get when people actually want to help us and bring safeguards into our life, not to say, thus says the Lord, but to say, it's pretty wise for you right now for a season to stay away, right, to get away from any temptation. I had multiple girls that I was very, very good friends with. I meet Sarah, and guess what? One of our first conversations as uh, an engaged couple, and she says, uh, are you gonna continue uh, talking on the phone with some of these girls? And I'm like, yeah, it's not a problem. And she says, it is for me, and it might be for you, and if we're gonna be together, we're gonna put safeguards in place, and like, you're not gonna text, and you're not gonna have phone calls with girls if we are gonna be one. I'm like, well, that's stupid. Uh, and today, guess what? That's really, really wise. It's really stupid for a fool, right? A fool doesn't want any of these things. A fool doesn't want to pursue these things. But God is so good that he says, temptation is serious. He doesn't tempt anyone. Do you see that? He doesn't tempt anyone. We believe that God is sovereign. If you wanna write these two things down, because I think we tend to blame God when we do fail, when we do fall, because if God is sovereign, if God's the boss over everything, then 
Why would he put that in my place, right? If he knew I struggled, then why would that temptation come out? Well, here's one accusation. I don't know if you've blamed God, but I have. If you want to write down ordination, ordination. We're not talking about ordaining deacons, which we installed our our deacons a few weeks ago. Ordination means that we are looking to God as the sovereign king of the universe. He's orchestrating all things. And we would say, well, if God loved me, then he wouldn't put any temptation in front of me, right? If God was really that powerful, he could prevent any temptation from even coming close to me. So if God ordained for that woman to pop up on my screen, like what was I supposed to do? I just had to give in. If, if God allowed for that sale to just pop up as I was driving home, I had to buy the truck, right? I mean, like, like it's God's fault because if God didn't want me to see that thing, I wouldn't want it and I wouldn't want to have it. Well, we have a problem, right? Because God does not ordain evil. He doesn't ordain the temptation. Here's the other thing orientation, and we could spend a lot of time. I just want to touch on this. We live in a day that I believe we've been brainwashed into believing that any struggles that we have, that it is because of orientation. I was born this way. It's in my genetics. It's a psychological thing. It's a psychiatric thing. It's a physiological thing. Do you believe that all those things contribute to the struggles that we have? Yes, big time. When people say, well, nobody is born gay. I'm like, We're all born sinners pursuing something. So I was born with an addictive nature and I knew at a young age being addicted to anything that I touched, was I born that way? I I was born with a disposition, a posture towards certain types of sins. I think we all were. But the issue is what? Does God orient us to give in to the temptations that we so strongly feel? No, because he does what? makes a way of escape. So even if I have strong, raging feelings towards something, someone, and God says, don't, he's saying, don't hurt yourself. When he says no, he says, no more death. I want life for you. I have a good friend that I went to Christian university with, and he opened up to me about seeing pornography at a very young age and all of a sudden struggling with same-sex attraction when he was already in junior high, and now uh, heading into college and me as a mentor to him and one of his pastors, I was able to walk with him through and he was able to be dead honest and say, I know at a very young age, I have had a sin bent. I know that it's sinful. I could call it a lot of other things, but I know that just because I'm tempted doesn't mean I have to give in. Just because I'm tempted doesn't mean I have to give in. And the reality is, if God has clearly said, this is wrong, it's sinful, we don't judge. But we're honest about there is a way to fight and a way to win, even if it's the rest of your life. So I have friends that are now adults, and they are committed to, I love Jesus, I love the church, I love the Bible, and I'm going to commit the rest of my life to stay pure and to fight temptation, even though Temptation constantly rises up inside of me. The bait is very deceiving. It's very powerful, but God's bigger. God's bigger than that. How awesome is that? How awesome is it no matter what you're struggling with, no matter what a loved one that you have is struggling with, that even though there's contributing factors, it's not ultimate. 
there is a way to overcome. There is a way to overcome. If God says it's wrong, he doesn't say no more happiness, no more fun. He says there's a better way, a more satisfying way. And I love that we can see God does not ordain temptation. He doesn't orient us towards temptation. Because of sin, everything has shifted. But he's bigger. He's bigger. Everybody say he's bigger. He's bigger than the struggle. He's bigger than sin. He's bigger than, than the temptation. And God is not tempted by evil. God doesn't tempt anyone. Number three, write this down. I will learn from a pregnant woman. Uh-oh. All right. So just to let you know, for all the mamas out there, we got five kids, so we just we, we love mama. We love mama. Here, here's the reality, though. The image that James is about to give us is about a pregnant woman, but it's not a positive image. It's actually negative. So you're welcome for not preaching this on Mother's Day, okay? All right, all right. So we're, we're, getting, we're getting through this now so that Mother's Day can be a, a, a go mama kind of day. But here it says what? Verse 15. Then desire, what happens when I get to this place of allurement, my head, my gaze is turned, my affections, the heart rises up, the desire, now I bite, I, I take the bait when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Temptation comes along, evil desires rise up, and I just wrote down, here are six steps of the, the, the growth and the progress of temptation and sin, okay? Track with me. Along comes drugs, alcohol, cheating, porn, cussing, complaining, worldly music, pagan friends, unsaved boyfriend, quick cash, quick escape, whatever the comfort is, whatever your vice is, comes along and it says, hi, how you doing? Good to see you here. Welcome. Let's be friends. Step one the introduction to the temptation. Maybe it's small talk, but during that time, what's happening? The bait, the bait's getting placed on the hook. Next step is what? We have, soon we're out on a date, having a little bit of fun. Everything's under control. It's not gonna go anywhere. It's not gonna be bad. I have self-control. I can handle this. Well, at this point, bloop, the bait's in the water. And soon, step three, now you're messing around a little bit with temptation. The bait starts dancing a little bit, and you're like, this isn't so bad. I mean, what, what's the worst that could happen? Step four, we went from messing around to we went too far. We never intended for this conception. You got your sin pregnant. We have a problem. Well, I never intended for it. I didn't think it was gonna be that bad or go that far. Step five, you can't stop the consequences. The baby is growing. The baby is born. What's the last step? James describes it as this, birth. The baby is here. Sin is alive. It's growing. And James says, this new life is called death. It seemed innocent at first, but now it takes on a life of its own. Now there are consequences. Now there are things happening that are way beyond my control. Temptation says, it's going to be fun. It's not a big deal. Just keep it under control. Just don't get caught. And James says, that's a lie from the pit of hell. I know the end. I know what's going to happen. I know where this is headed. And he's not trying to be a nagging dad. He's trying to be a wise pastor calling God's people to think about where does this go? Where does this lead? You're not thinking about the sequence here. And we have sin leading to death. I thought what was going to bring me life instead brought me death. 
The thing that I thought was going to make me happy now makes me miserable. The thing that I thought was going to set me free now enslaves me. I'm trapped. I never thought I would be here. I never thought it would get this bad. And he says, if you fight at the start, you never get down this road. Fight at the beginning, not at the end when it's too late. If you want to write this down, I don't know if you have this in your notes, stop managing your temptation when God is calling you to kill your temptation. Stop managing your temptation when God is calling you to kill your temptation. It's so much worse than we ever thought possible. And here we go. Number four, everybody say, land the plane. Here we go. Here we go. I will look to my good father. So not just the athlete, not just the fish and the fishing analogy, not just the pregnant mom, but here's how he concludes. Good father, good father. Verse 16, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Why would he say that? Maybe because we're so easily what? easily deceived. He wouldn't tell us not to if we already weren't doing it. Every good gift, every perfect gift, it's from, it's from above. It's coming down from the Father of lights with, with whom there is no variation, no shadow due to change. He's unchangeable. He's rock solid. Verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth out from the word of truth. He spoke. We came out. We're now his, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So what comes from God? Goodness. God's not a killjoy. He's he's not saying, no more fun, no more happiness. Be a Christian. I'm a Christian. I don't do bad. I judge people that do bad. I do good. Lame. He's saying Christians are the freest people on earth. Those that follow Jesus are now made alive. They're freed from death. Are they freed from temptation? No, temptation's everywhere. But there's power from a good God, a Father that comes and gives us everything we need to fight. Don't blame God. Temptation doesn't come from Him. Good gifts come from Him. Whatever offer sin makes, God makes a better offer. Whatever God is giving truly satisfies, but we choose the imitation. We choose the counterfeit. How is faith going to work itself out this week for you? Here's a couple truths. My greatest enemy is within. Am I going to come to terms with the fact that It's not everybody else's fault. It's not the devil made me do it. It's not that God is messing with me. I have a problem inside of me. The greatest enemy is within. How about this commitment? I will kill sin or sin will be killing me. We're talking about war, right? We're talking about language that is, I can't be passive. I have to fight. I don't know if your life has been marked thus far by getting serious, dead serious about the death that sin brings and be killing sin, killing temptation. And how about this? I choose to believe that my God only gives good gifts. He's not holding anything back. I think oftentimes we are giving in to temptation because we believe that God is reluctant and whatever's in front of me is being offered so generously when the truth is the opposite. God is eager, generous, and he wants to give, but your hands are full and he can't hand you gifts when you're already hoarding the things you're convinced are going to make you happy.